Well, happy Father's Day. Man, it's so good to be with you in the house of God this morning. Thank you for spending an hour with us here on this Father's Day weekend. We had a great time yesterday at our men's breakfast with so many of the guys. And uh, it's my privilege today to just bring the Word of God to you. I, I value so greatly this opportunity. I, I, hope that, I hope that you're as excited to receive the Word as I am to preach it today. Amen. I think I'll probably be preaching to this side of the room more than this side based off that, but I'm not done with you yet, so just so you know, there's more opportunities. A couple months ago, I, I preached a series called In This House, and it was a series about the, the culture of this church, the things that really define who we are. Lately, I've been thinking about the impact that the church has on the culture and how we can shape and, uh, and influence that culture, and particularly this week, I've been thinking about the influence of men in our culture. And so kind of taking off that idea of in this house, I want to preach a message today under the title, In This Town. And if you have your Bibles, I want you to go with me to 1 Samuel chapter 15, or chapter 9 rather, 1 Samuel chapter 9. And in that, in that story, I'll give you a little bit of the background. You're, you're going to find that this is the first moment we meet Saul, who would be the first king in the nation of Israel. So we meet Saul, but as you read 1 Samuel chapter 9, what you discover is that this is a less than glamorous introduction to the first king of Israel. In fact, if you read through the story, it feels almost a little bit dare I say pointless. I mean, I know that all the word of God is, is inspired and it's authoritative and, and there's a reason for it, but I just mean from, from a, a reader's standpoint, when you read this story, you, you kind of you back up a little and go, where are we going here? Where are we going with all this? And, and the story is that Saul has lost his father's donkeys. And so he and his servant go out to look for him. That's 1 Samuel chapter 9. They're looking for their father's donkeys. And, and I do believe, obviously, that, that God had a purpose for putting this story in the Word of God. And the reason primarily is this. I believe that it's here because God wants us to know that He is sovereignly ruling and reigning over even the details of our life. I don't know if you believe that or not, but that's what I see in this story. And, and as you read it, we won't take time to read it all today. We'll just pick out a few verses. But Saul and his servant, they go on this three-day journey. They're looking for their, his father's donkeys, which they've, they've lost, and they can't find them. High and low, they search from town to town. They, they finally get to a place where Saul is ready to quit. He's like, you know what? At this point, Dad's probably more worried about me than he is the donkeys. I've been gone for three days. Let's just throw in the towel. And the servant says to him, wait a minute. Now, I heard there's, there, there's a prophet in this town over here that could help us. And so they go to, to that town, and as they're coming in, they meet these ladies that are coming out to go to the well to draw water, and they ask them the question, is the man of God in this town? And the ladies say, not only is he here, but he's just ahead of you. If you hurry up, you can catch him. And so they, they go into the town, and they meet Samuel, the prophet. Of course, they don't know it's Samuel, the prophet, because you know, they don't follow him on Twitter or Instagram. They don't know what he looks like. You understand, in this day, they just come up to him and they say, hey, could you tell us where the home is of the prophet? And 18 verses in to 1 Samuel 9, it still feels like a trivial story. 
But it's in that moment where they interact with the prophet of God that we get a little bit of understanding why the backstory even matters. And I want you to go there with me in verse 15 and 16. It says this to us as they're talking with Samuel. It says, now the day before Saul came, the Lord had revealed this to Samuel the prophet. About this time tomorrow, I'll send you a man from the land of Benjamin. Anoint him ruler over the people Israel. He will deliver them from the hand of the Philistines. For I have looked on my people, for their cry has reached my ear. Now, I don't know what that verse does for you, but let me tell you what it did for me when I read it. It reminded me immediately that God is right now orchestrating the events of my life at a macro level and at a micro level. That in one verse, we see a, a, an understanding that, that God is hearing the cries of his people. He's hearing the cry of a nation, and he's governing that nation. And at the same time, he's leaving the latch lifted on the back stall door of a farm so that some donkeys can get out and hide for a few days to get one young, irresponsible man in the right town at the right time to have an encounter with a man of God. Do you see that? God is working sovereignly in our lives. And I don't know what Father's Day feels like to you. I don't know if you're loving this day, if you're loving this moment. I don't know if you're just here out of obligation, if you just came for duck donuts, or if this is really a tough day for you and, and you have to take a, a deep breath and really muster up another level of courage to just endure. What is a difficult day filled with painful reminders? But can I tell you, though I might not know, I know one who does. God is orchestrating even the most minute details of your life. God knows where the donkeys are, and he knows how to get you where you need to be to have an encounter with God and to hear his word. I think that's primarily why the story's even in there. But there is a second reason, and, and I want to spend the rest of my time today talking about this second purpose for the backstory of Saul becoming king of Israel. In 1 Samuel chapter 9, there's a description. It's just one verse long, and it's really a biography of Samuel, the man of God. And I want to talk about men of God in this town. And so I want you to go with me to see this one-sentence summary of Samuel's life. And it comes at a moment when Saul is ready to give up. It's the third day. He can't find the donkeys. He's out of options. He's out of ideas. He's out of patience. Don't know if you've ever been there before, but he's ready to quit. And it's in that moment that he says, let's just go home, that his servant replies with these words in 1 Samuel 9, verse 6. Look at it with me. But the servant replied, look, in this town, there is a man of God. He is highly respected, and everything he says comes true. Let's go there now. Perhaps he will tell us what way to take. Church, my prayer today is that this would be said in this town. If you're a note taker, I want to tell you four things that we get from this verse. 
about a man of God. In this town, number one, there is a man of God, a godly man. I'm thankful today for godly women. I'm thankful that the Bible says to us in verses like Galatians chapter 3 and verse 28, there's neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male nor female. Why? We are all one in Christ Jesus. I'm thankful that, that Calvary levels the playing field. I thank God for verses like the one in Acts 2.17 that says, In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Both your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Thank God for women in ministry. I, I had an opportunity uh, earlier this week to be a guest on a podcast that was hosted by the Assembly of God Network of Women Ministers. Now, why would they want me to be on a podcast for the Network of Women Ministers? Well, they, they were talking about church revitalization. And, and I got a chance to just interact with some of these ladies that are hosting this podcast. And, and let me just say, I am so grateful for the women in our fellowship who are pastoring churches, women who are answering the call to foreign missions and, and uh, missions on our own soil, thankful for women who are evangelists and for all of the giftings in the body of Christ that women fulfill. We could talk all day about the significance of that role, but can I say, as great as that is, there is still a need for godly men. There is still a need for men of God. You know, Paul told Titus, he said, the way it ought to look in the church is that the older women should be guiding the younger women, and the older men should be guiding the younger men. There's been an absence of older men guiding the younger men. In many a churches, if there weren't women serving, there would be no Sunday school. There would be no discipleship. And thank God for them, but we have a role and a responsibility to play. One of the greatest crises of our generation is fatherlessness. Now, I know you know that. We, we hear a lot about the, it's kind of the, the, the crisis du jour, whatever, whatever is the hot cultural topic of the day. But can I tell you, there's a bigger crisis that's behind a lot of those smaller crises. And it's the absence of fathers. Let me just give you some of the stats to, to bring you into the realities of our current world. 63% of youth suicides today are kids from fatherless homes. 90% of all runaway children, 90% come from fatherless homes. 85% of all children with behavioral disorders are from fatherless homes. 71% of high school dropouts are from fatherless homes. 75% of all adolescent chemical abuse patients in drug treatment centers today come from fatherless homes homes. 85% of the youths in our prisons come from fatherless homes. According to a, a stat that I read from Promise Keepers and the Baptist Press, if a father does not go to church, even if his wife does, one in 50 children will grow up to be regular worshipers. If a father does go regularly, Regardless of whether the mother does or not, between two-thirds and three-quarters of those children will attend church as adults. 
If a father attends church even irregularly, between half and two-thirds of their kids will attend church with some sense of regularity as adults. There was another study that I read that, that said if a child is the first person in the home to establish a relationship with Jesus, to come to faith and become a Christian, if the child goes first, there is a 3.5% probability that everyone else in the household will follow. And by the way, we've seen some of those stories in this church. So I thank God for our vacation Bible school and for children's evangelism and the the Bible adventure program. I, I thank God for the times that we see a child lead their family into faith. But the study shows that if the mother is the first to follow Christ, 17% probability that the rest of the family will follow suit. But if dad is the first one in the family to become a Christian, studies show that there is a 93% probability that everyone else in the family will follow. Now, if you're here today and you're, you're towing the line alone as a single mom, all that underscores is what you already knew. This is hard. <laughs> this is hard. And what you're doing, we commend you for. I don't say that to discourage anybody today. I say it to remind you that, that God does exceptional things. And so if that's you today and you feel like, man, you just stacked the deck against me, Pastor. Listen, you serve a God that does exceptional things. Pray that you're the exception. Pray that your kids are exceptional, that they're, they're not a statistic or an anomaly, but, but that, that there's something powerful that God can do even in difficult situations. The reason I share the stat is to underscore this simple reality that church today, masculinity still matters. God still has a a mandate on men, a purpose that he established for us in Genesis, in the home. When you look at the the life of Jesus himself in Matthew chapter 3, who, by the way, was the only perfect son, the the only one that, that ever got it all right all the time. When Jesus stepped into the baptism waters at the Jordan and and John baptized him, the Bible says that the voice of his father spoke from heaven. What a special moment. What a special moment. And of all the things that God could say in that moment, God the Father spoke over his only begotten son a word of identity. He said, this is my son. He spoke a word of identity. The first blessing that he pronounced over his son, this is my son. And can I tell you, every son and every daughter since then have craved that affirmation from their father. Every one of us innately, we want our fathers to speak over and affirm our identity. Do you think there's any coincidence that the enemy is working overtime today to form an attack against the identity of our children? I mean, there are many today in our culture, they would be offended that God said, this is my son. How dare you define him? Shouldn't he get to choose his own pronouns? Shouldn't he get to decide what he is? And and that's, I'm not even joking. That's just the reality of the, the cultural context that we're living in. But it's the fathers who should be confirming the identity of their children. And our culture is actually coaching us to do the opposite of that. I read some ridiculous articles this week about suggested other terms for Father's Day. I'll tell you what's happening. In Genesis chapter 27, Esau 
comes to his father, Isaac, asking for a blessing. He wants what Jesus got from his father. And he's entitled to it. As the firstborn son, he is entitled to a blessing from his father. But his father, Isaac, had already been deceived. He had been tricked by Jacob. And so when when Esau gets into his father's presence and he asks him for a blessing, the blessing's not there. And in Genesis chapter 27, verse 38, it says, Esau said to his father, Do you have only one blessing, my father? Bless me too, my father. And then Esau wept aloud. Can I tell you what's happening in America today? We have a generation of fathers, a generation of Isaacs who have been deceived. And we have a generation of Esau's crying out, Father, would you bless me too? Would you bless me? Would you speak over my identity? Would you confirm my value? We've run out of blessings. What we need are men of God in this town who place their hands on the shoulders of young men like Saul. Place their hands on the shoulders of young women and speak an authoritative word from God into their value and into their purpose and into the plan that God has for their life. That's exactly what Samuel did for Saul. In fact, I want you to look at it with me in chapter 10, in verse 6. Samuel says to Saul these words, The Spirit of the Lord will come powerfully upon you, and you will prophesy with them, and you will be changed into a different person. Once these signs are fulfilled, do whatever your hand finds to do, for God is with you. Can you imagine the confidence that that would give to a young person who's struggling to know their purpose and their value and their place in this world, to have a man of God come and put his hands on their shoulders and say, God's spirit is going to dwell in you. God's spirit is going to be powerful on your life. He's going to use you. Your life's going to be changed. From the inside out, your heart is going to change. And when it does, listen, go after your wildest dreams. Pursue your ambitions. Do whatever's in your heart to do because God is with you. We don't have to speculate what happens when someone has a moment like that with a man of God. Because it says to us in verse 9 of chapter 10, As Saul turned to leave Samuel, God changed Saul's heart, and all of these signs were fulfilled that day. Can I just remind all of us, only God can change someone's heart. Only God can change someone's heart, but the question remains, will there be a man of God in this town that he can use? In this town, the servant said, there is a man of God. He is highly respected. Number two, a respected man. Not just a godly man, but a respected man. In other words, not just a man that's respected in church, but a man that's respected in the community. Not just a person that looks spiritual on Sunday from 10 to 11, but a person who has respect and rapport within the community. The Bible says in Proverbs 22 and verse 1, a good name is more desirable than great riches. To be esteemed is better than silver or gold. When when the church was just getting started in the book of Acts, 
In Acts chapter 6, they had their first church meeting, their first election, if you will. And they had to pick some people to fill some roles of leadership in a new ministry in the church. And so the apostles said to the people in Acts 6, verse 3, Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them. So two qualifications. He said, be full of, full of the Spirit and be full of wisdom. In other words, the qualifications for leadership are that you're spiritual, but they're also practical. Knowledge is, is just the assessing or acquiring of information, but, but wisdom is the application of that knowledge. And he says, if you're going to be a leader, yes, you need to be spiritual, but you also need to be practical. And then Paul, he went even farther in his description of what a church leader ought to look like. When he was writing to Timothy in 1 Timothy 3 about those that are going to be put in positions of leadership, he said this. He said, now the overseer is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him. And he must do so in a manner worthy of full respect. And then he explains why that's so important in verse 5. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? You know, it's true. You can tell a lot about a person by what their family thinks about them. I mean, you, you might fool us this morning, but the Bible says in Proverbs 12, 20 and verse 7, a righteous man walks in his integrity and his children are blessed after him. You tell a lot about a person by the esteem their family has for them. In this town, there is a man of God. He is highly respected. And then the servant said, and everything that he says comes true. In other words, this man is a dependable man. He's dependable. Now, I know there's no perfect people. There's certainly no perfect fathers. And I'm not trying to set an unrealistically high bar that everybody can just, you know, leave church on Sunday, you know, feeling bad about themselves. And, well, I'll never live up to the Father's Day card. Thanks for that encouragement. But how many of you know that we ought to be men of integrity? Not that we don't fail, not that we don't get it wrong, but men of God ought to be men of their word. You know, there was a time when you could just shake a man's hand and close a deal, and his word was good. At least that's what I've been told. I'm not that old, but there was a time, I'm told, when you could just believe a guy and take him at his word. What a sad reality that we're not rising as the people of God to this incredible opportunity. Can I tell you what this opportunity presents? We have a world right now that is hungry for a dependable voice. We have a world right now that is starving to have a reliable source of information. And here we stand as the people of God, and our authority is the unchanged Word of God. Our authority and our confidence is built on something that is unshakable, 
that never changes. And, and yet the sad reality is many in the church today are actually trying to adjust and change and reword the unchanging word of God to be more palatable to a society. Can I just tell all of us today that whenever you change the word of God to align with people who are living in rebellion to the God of the word, nobody wins. Nobody wins. The prophet Samuel, he could be trusted. He could be depended because he was willing to listen for God's voice. He had an ear that was cultivated towards the word of God and the will of God. In in chapter 8 of this story, if you back up a page, you find that the people of Israel were actually coming to Samuel, and they were wanting a king. They were wanting a king, just like all the other nations have. Give us a king to rule over us. And Samuel told him flat out, this is a bad idea. Like, this is bad. If you get a king... He's going to take your sons. He's going to put them on the front lines of his military. He's going to take your daughters. He's going to make them work in the kitchen. He's going to take the best of your crops to bring into his castle. And he's going to take all the best of your livestock. And it's going to cost you. You're not going to like it. But Samuel prayed. And he sought God. And God told Samuel, he said, it's not you they're rejecting. It's me. Go ahead and give them a king. And so Samuel obeyed the Lord and found this young man, Saul, to anoint as king. See, there's a lot of guys that that have no problem saying, I'll speak the truth. I don't care if people don't like it. There's a lot of guys like that, but I wonder how many of us are willing to speak the truth even when we don't like it. To say, I'm going to be a dependable source of information on the reliability of God's word, even when it doesn't fit my narrative, even when it's not what I want to talk about, even when it's not uh, you know, applicable or, or palatable to my life. I'm just going to be a dependable source because my ear is inclined to the voice of the Lord. We need men in this town who will seek God and pray and get a word from God for this community, for their family, for this nation. To say, God, I want to hear what you're saying, and I'll be courageous enough to speak the truth. Zig Ziglar once said, ability is important in our quest for success, but dependability is critical. I wonder this morning, when when people look at you, do they say, that's a dependable person. That's a person I can count on. In this town, there is a man of God. He's highly respected, and everything that he says comes true. Let's go there now. Number four, he's an accessible man. Let's go there now. I don't know how you would handle it, but I can't help but think that if I was dawned the title, Prophet of the Nation, I probably wouldn't give a whole lot of time to two young guys looking for some lost donkeys. Like, that just doesn't really, it feels like it would be maybe below my pay grade at that point. Prophet of the Nation. But I love that that the servant of Saul felt no inhibitions about approaching the man of God. Samuel didn't live this life with an ivory tower mentality, that I'm up here and you little peons are down here, stay out of my way. No, The servant of Saul said, hey, there's a man of God here, and if he's in this town today, let's go now. Let's go see him now. Samuel was approachable. He was accessible 
to people. And I think too often, as men, we, we limit the ability for God to work in our life because we close our lives off to people getting close to us. We don't want to expose our weaknesses. We don't want our vulnerabilities to show. Maybe we'll open our heart to people and, and we'll disappoint them. Or, or maybe worse, we'll show our true colors and, and people might think we don't measure up to the man that they thought we were. And so we do what our father did, Adam. We cover up. We get fig leaves. We hide our shame. We hide our insecurity. We hide our failures. We're still doing it today. We're, we're covering up the same way that he did. And maybe the saddest reality is when men allow that insecurity to cause them to close off the ones that love them the most. Our family, our, your spouse, your children, men that God has called to do life with you in the fellowship of faith. And we don't show what we're really dealing with and what's going on in our life. Men, I just wonder today, and if you could just ask yourself a question of introspection Am I accessible? Am I accessible to my family? Am I accessible to my kids when they're dealing with something? Can they come to me? Do they have the, the assurance? What about your coworkers? What about your friends? If they're dealing with issues in their marriage or their family or their finances or if they're struggling with their emotions, do you, do you feign some sense of bravado or, or, or are you accessible enough that somebody can be honest with you and you can help them in a time of need? You know what amazes me about Jesus is the fact that Jesus could, he could stand toe-to-toe with a demoniac or with a crowd of religious scholars. The Bible says he spoke as one having authority. He didn't back down. And yet at the same time, this same Jesus, there was a, a woman who was hemorrhaging for 12 years and she felt confident that she could press through the crowd and touch Jesus' cloak. The parents felt confident that they could bring their children to Jesus and he would bless them and not turn them away. The tax collector, the prostitute, they they found a seat at the table in his company. Why? Because Jesus was accessible. And when you read through the Gospels, you can see the ratio of people that sought Jesus and the ratio of those that didn't is one to a million. But can I tell you today, the ratio of those that pursued Jesus and those that found him is one in one. He said, if you'll seek me, you'll find me. If you'll seek me with all of your heart. And when people in this town are looking for answers, I want them to know this church is accessible. That you don't have to go and clean your life up. That you don't have to get your act together. You don't go to got to go buy a new set of clothes. No, if you are in need of somebody that has an answer, this church is accessible. That you can come just as you are and that people would be able to say confidently, hey, let's go there now. Let's go there now. Let's, let's, let's just fix this right now because there is an answer within reach. As the worship team comes back to the platform, I want to just lay this before us today and especially to the men. Is there a man of God in this town? A godly man. Not a people pleaser. A God-pleasing man man. And not just someone that is godly on Sunday morning, but a respected man, a highly revered man. Is there a dependable man? And is there an accessible man? God's called us 
to that. And, and, and can I just say, all, all of these things are pretty tall order. And if we're being completely honest in this moment, I, I want to just tell you, none of us fully represent a man of God, except for the God-man, Jesus. He, he's, he's the only one that, that really represented God fully. And, and so when it comes to leading other people to know where the answer is, while absolutely God uses us, as Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. People are following you to Jesus. The reality is we ought to take on the spirit of the servant in this verse that we've been meditating on. We ought to be the ones when people are lost, when they're looking for answers, when they don't know which way to turn, when they're ready to give up, when they're ready to throw in the towel and say, you know what, I've tried and it's not working, let's just quit. We ought to be the ones to take on the spirit of that servant that says, look, there's a man of God in this town. His name is Jesus. And everything he says comes true. He's highly respected. Let's go to him now. Perhaps he'll tell us the way to take. And I want to take on that posture of a servant here at the end of this service. And I want to make an invitation to you. If you feel lost, if you feel like you're out of ideas, out of direction, out of solutions, there is a man of God in this town. Jesus is here today. And he's still seeking and saving the lost. And he would love nothing more today than by his spirit to place his hands on your shoulders and to say the spirit of God is going to come powerfully upon you. And your life is going to change. And when it does, you can go out and do everything that God puts in your heart to do because God is with you. And if you're lacking that confidence today to pursue your dreams and pursue your vision, you don't know if God's with you. or Maybe you're sure he's not. I want to lead you in a prayer today, a prayer of surrender. For every man, for every woman, young and old, if you need to surrender your life to the authority and the leadership of Jesus, we're going to bow our heads right now. And I want to invite you right where you're sitting to just make an altar right there between you and God. I want to invite you to pray a prayer similar to the one that I'm praying right now. Father, thank you so much that you found me. When I was out searching, you found me. God, thank you that you sent Jesus to die on the cross for my sins today. I'm going to stop running. God, today I'm going to stop searching and striving on my own. God, today I'm going to turn to you to save me, to rescue me. I believe Jesus' death on the cross was enough to cleanse me of my sin, to forgive me of my past, and right now, I receive the Spirit of Jesus in my heart and life. Fill me with your presence. Change my heart. And 
give me the confidence to go after everything that you put in my heart's desires. Because from this day forward, God, I believe you're with me. Jesus, I give you my life. If you just prayed a prayer like that with me today, and you meant that, would you just say that even out loud right now to the Lord? Say, Jesus, I give you my life. Come on, hear the words coming out of your own mouth. Jesus, I give you my life. Church, I want to ask you all to stand with me all over this room. As we stand in this moment, I just want to pray prophetically and speak this over us today, over every man, over every woman, over every teenager. God has called us in this town to be men and women of God. Would you just stretch your hands toward God today just as a sign of surrender? Pray this with me. God, I pray that you would make us men and women of God. Lord, that we would be godly, that we would be full of the the Spirit of God, the nature of God, the fruit of the Spirit would dwell in our lives. That, God, we would not compartmentalize our relationship with you to a weakened experience. That, God, we would walk with you, compelled by your Spirit every day. God, I thank you for the witness of the church. Lord, let us be respected. Lord, help us to guard our reputation in the community. That people in the church and those that don't even know you would have a respect for the men and women that represent you. God, make us dependable. Lord, we want to be reliable. We've all failed at times, and I know we will again, but God, with your Spirit's help, your word declares the steps of the righteous are ordered by the Lord. God, would you order our steps? Lord, if any of us have been hiding behind our masculine facade, if any of us have been hiding behind our identity that we got from our job or from our success, God, give us the vulnerability to make ourselves accessible again. God, I pray that we would be accessible to those that are hurting, those in need, those that need encouragement. God, our confidence is not in the things we've done. It's not in the arm of flesh. It's in the Lord. So God, I thank you for making us your ambassadors in this community. We love you, Jesus. We love you. And we surrender our lives for your kingdom purposes. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said amen. Come on, if you received the word today, would you just thank the Lord with me? God, we give you praise today for your word. Thank you, Lord, that it's shaping us and molding us into the image of Christ. And all God's people said amen today. Amen, amen. Well, God bless you again. I want to say happy Father's Day to all the men. And I want to say to all the, all the guys, you don't become a reflection of the Father God by impregnating a woman. You reflect the fatherhood of God because you were created in his image. So whether you're a dad or not, we want to honor every man in this place today. Take your place in this community. God has called you to greatness.